The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. If you're a guest with us, it's here to celebrate the baptisms. We're especially glad you're here. Thank you so much for coming. Let me pray for us. We'll hear from God's word together. Father, thank you that you speak. Thank you that you love us. You're building a family all over the world and, uh, and in this little community. And Lord, we thank you for these two boys we're gonna baptize today. We love them more than we can say. Lord, help us now as we hear from your word to uh, remember what it is exactly we're doing and uh, to give you the glory and praise you deserve for it. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Matt. I'm the pastor here at Fountain of Life, and one of my favorite things to do is baptisms, and so I'm excited to, to uh, share two baptisms with you this morning. Um, but being a pastor, I also have some colorful baptism experiences, and so I'm gonna give you my top three pet peeves about baptism. Is that okay as we get started? Top three pet peeves. Number one, I don't like it when baptism is superstitious. Superstitious. You know what superstition is? You know, you gotta rub a magical box, or if you're a baseball player, you'd, you never step on the white line. You know, if you've won a bunch of games, you don't change your underwear, right? As if not changing your underwear will help you win more games. That's what we call superstition. So a lot of people think baptism is superstitious. Let me just give you a confession. I am not a magical shaman kind of holy man, and I don't have any magical water. And so when I put water on someone, it's not like they're gonna have good luck for the rest of their lives. Um, they're not winning a spiritual lottery. It doesn't even save them. This is not for good karma. I don't even know any, anybody named karma. It's not superstitious. There's, there's truth behind this we wanna get to. This is, this is not for good luck. Second thing I don't like about baptism, I don't like when baptism is cute. Now don't get me wrong, if you've met these two little boys, we are nearing illegal le levels of cuteness here. So if you've seen my son Zeke and when he smiles at you, the cuteness overflows. Aiden is just as cute. I was meeting with his parents the other day. He started smiling at me. I was totally distracted from what I was doing. So cute. The, the kids are cute, but baptism isn't cute. You realize baptism is birthed in the blood and the sweat and the tears of God's people enduring through hard years because God is faithful? Baptism is about a story. Do you know baptism is focused on one innocent man who bled on a cross for the guilty and his victorious resurrection that he shares with those he saves? That's what baptism is about. That's not cute. It's beautiful. It's not cute. So the third thing I don't like it, I don't like when baptism is rote tradition. It's easy for churches to fall into rote tradition. Tradition is when you used to have a good reason for doing something and you started doing it and you kept doing it but you forgot the reason. And so the reason for doing it just, beca just becomes, well, we do it. Well, why? Because we do it. I don't have any interest in rote tradition it bugs me, right? Do you, do you like this? Some of us, we left church because it just became tradition. We don't even know this is about anymore. So I'm not interested in rote tradition. We're not baptizing because that's what we do. Far from it. 
We are baptizing because baptism is our story. That's what I want to tell you about this morning. Baptism is our story. And so this is a bigger moment than just these two little boys that we're going to baptize. I should not be um, in a living room with just my family baptizing my kid by myself. That'd be, that'd be totally inappropriate. It wouldn't be real. Baptism is our story together. Baptism doesn't count unless we have community. You hear that? It doesn't count without community because it's our story together. It's the true story. It's the one that claims us, defines us, and gives us life. So as we baptize, we need to remember the story. It is strange, isn't it, how desperate human beings are to live within a story. Aren't you desperate to live within a story? You ever heard this line before? Everything happens for a reason. You heard that? You have friends that have said that to you? Um, you hear athletes say it? Well, everything happens for a reason. In fact, the great theologian uh, Floyd Mayweather <laughs> defended Ronda Rousey a couple weeks ago, and part of his defense was everything happens for a reason. Preach it, Floyd. Like, uh, Marilyn Monroe has a famous quote, everything happens for a reason. I hear that a lot, and often I wonder, do you have a good reason for believing that everything has a reason? You know what I'm saying? Check this out. New York Times editorial referenced a study from Yale that asked people to reflect on significant events from their own lives, and a majority of atheists in the study reported that they believed everything happened for a reason. They believe things were determined by fate and that there's an underlying order to life that determines how events turn out. If you're an atheist, by definition, there's no reason. There's no person with a story and an intention. It's just accidents. It's not reason. It's random. And yet they long to believe what? There is a reason. There's got to be a reason. There's got to be meaning. There's got to be purpose. Wow. Wow. To believe everything happens for a reason, well, that takes faith, doesn't it? You're trusting something. So is there anything reasonable that would give us an educated faith to believe that everything happens for a reason? We can't escape the fact that we're made for meaning, right? That's why we want the story. You are made for meaning. That's why you want to believe there's a reason. You want to believe there's a purpose, there's a truth, Christians have the best reason for believing that. Christianity is unique. Um, our, our scriptures are unique for telling a, tr a comprehensive story from beginning to end of who God is and what he's doing. Um, we have a story written on the pages of history headlined by a real historical figure who rose from the dead. We know the story. And this morning, I want to look at some of that story with you and see how it relates to baptism, okay? Look at our story, because this, what we're talking about here, is not, we're not talking about these cute little baby boys and hoping they have nice lives. That is not what we're doing here. We're talking about our community's story and how baptism is a picture of that. So we're going to do that from Acts 2. I uh, hope you follow along with me. We're on page, what, 9, 10? In your chair Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one of these. Um, but what we have here is a sermon by the Apostle Peter, and it's really the Apostle's first sermon after Jesus rose from the dead. So this is when they're, 
their ministry, their work is beginning. First thing I want you to see is that Peter's sermon is preceded by a shocking event. So there's something that happened that was kind of a tipping point into this sermon. And here's what it was. So if you remember, the disciples had seen Jesus. They'd been with him for three years. They'd, they'd hear him predict his death, his resurrection. They didn't understand it. Then they were shocked by his death. Then they were even more shocked by his resurrection. And then he taught them. And then he ascended into the presence of the Father. He told them before he left, you gotta wait. Wait in Jerusalem. Something's coming. Wait. And so they did that. They were waiting. And as they waited, one moment, the Feast of Pentecost, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, given to them to, to enable them, to give them boldness, to give them skill for the mission that God has given them. And as the Spirit fills them, they have this bold proclamation, and they're telling everyone about Jesus, and it's, what's especially um, shocking about it is they're able to speak in all hosts of other languages, so at this feast, all these people have come into Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. They've come from all, uh, all over the world. And as they come in, they're hearing Jesus proclaimed in their own tongue from, from whence they've come. Amazing. So the event was so shocking, some cynics even tried to explain it away by accusing Peter of being drunk. And he's basically like, dude, when you're drunk, you can't speak your own language. How much less someone else's? But here's what he says. I want to show you verse 16 and 17. I'm not going to go into his sermon in detail. I want you to see some big picture points. Number one, Peter says, but this is what was uttered through the what? Prophet. Keep that in your pocket. Then verse 17, he says, and in the what? Last days. What's last days all about? Well, that at least means there were first days when something began. And it also means there's going to be last days when it finishes. It tells you there's a story with meaning, with purpose, with promises, with fulfillment. There's a story. And prophet also tells you, and how does that work, right? When the prophet speaks, who else is speaking? God is speaking. Really important stuff. How do you know the true story? How do you know what you're here for? How do you know what life is all about? How do you know uh, the authority for right and wrong? How do you know meaning and purpose in life? Well, there's, there's really only one answer. God has to tell us. The author of the story has to explain the story. And so you see Peter saying, look, folks, what's happening today is part of of the story, and this is how we know. God told us, and his sermon is full of it, full of the story. So I wanna remember just uh, a little bit with you, the story of the world is revealed by scripture. You know, as, before we get there, you, you realize everybody's telling you the story all the time. Right, maybe, maybe you, what are the commercials telling you the story of life is all about? Anybody watch football? I watched tons of football. It was awesome. And in between, the, the football game is commercials, and the commercials are telling you a story, and that is, it basically goes like this. You're sad, lost, and lonely, and life really isn't worth living unless you get this new car, <laughs> and then you'll be happy. Oh, the reason you're not attractive is you don't drink the right beer, but if you got this beer... 
everyone would be into you. Now we laugh, we giggle, but tell me that's not what they're saying. It adds up over time to that you believe that life is all about getting stuff, or it's about being happy, right? It's, we're at the holidays, and so what, is holiday, what do holidays mean? That means you have to have your home decorated perfectly. And everybody has to come, and you have to have happy moments together within that decorated space. Do any of you feel pressure to get that accomplished? I know you do, right? Because that's the story. And how many of you end up deflated after the holidays? My house was a wreck, and when people came over, we argued. What's the story? The true story, the real story, the big story. It has to be one that starts from the very beginning, otherwise it's not worth anything. It has to be something that goes all the way to the end. What is it? I want to tell you the, the biblical story way too fast. Think of it like a movie. Think of it like scene. Scene one, a holy, beautiful God creates everything and he calls it good. That's why creation is so beautiful. He calls it good. And the best part of his creation, humanity. Male and female made in his image, made to be satisfied in him, ruling kind of underneath his kingship, ruling, um, cultivating over the creation he's given them, to be satisfied in him, surrendered to his authority. But why are we in such a wreck? Well, that's scene two. We call it the fall. Um, Our forefathers decided they didn't want to be submitted to God. They wanted to replace him. And so they could no longer find ultimate satisfaction because only God can satisfy you. And so they're going to get secondhand satisfactions that don't work, that don't last. And that brought death. That made life seem meaningless. And it made us deserving of God's just wrath, his justice and his wrath. But from the very beginning, there was a promise that God would save and renew what was broken. It started with a man named Abraham. You've heard of him? Anybody think God chose Abraham because he was a really good person? Read the story again. He was a moon worshiper from Ur. That's a city. And God just out of grace said, Abraham, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to call you. I'm going to show you grace. And I'm going to build out of you a family. And out of that family, I'm going to show grace to the entire world. Started with one guy. Abraham believed God, the scripture says, and he was counted righteous. Isn't that great? We, we see already that with this God, you don't have to do things to get right with him. Because, by the way, you can't. You can't be good enough to reach God's holy standard. But God does it for you, shows us grace, love that we don't deserve. And the way to receive that is just to put your faith in him, to believe in, to trust in him. You'll be counted righteous. Let me show you what Paul says about Abraham in Romans 4. When Abraham believed God and was made right with God, God gave him this strange sign. Do you see it? Look at verse 11. Abraham received the sign of what? Circumcision. But what did it do? As a seal. So think of somebody's uh, stamp on an old letter. It's their seal. As a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. So he was made right with God by what? Faith. He trusted God. He believed God. He was made right with God. The righteousness he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Now, this is interesting. The purpose, so we might be sitting, why? The purpose was to make him what? Father of all who believe 
without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. You ever sing the, the song in Sunday school? Father Abraham, right arm, left arm. Did you have to do that? What on earth are we doing? I don't understand this song. <laughs> They're trying to tell you the story. God is saving the world. He starts by showing grace to Abraham. Abraham was made right with God by, by faith, not by doing good works. And the point was that God's gonna save the whole world like this, by grace, through faith. The story continues. Abraham becomes the nation of Israel. Israel's best king was named David. God told David that his descendant would reign forever. So Abraham becomes a nation. A nation has a king, and God says, this king is gonna have a dynasty, and there's gonna be an ultimate king, and that's the king who's gonna save the world. That's the one. That's the way it's gonna happen. Do you know his name? Over the years, Israel and its kings failed, right? If you just read the Old Testament, you get to the end, you're like, that was anticlimactic. This didn't work. What's wrong? And now Peter in Acts 2, he's saying, in the last days. It's here. It's happened. The story's happening. Can I show you how Matthew starts his gospel? Look what he says, Matthew 1.1. The book of the genealogy of who? Jesus Christ. And what does he call him? The son of David, the son of Abraham. Who cares? Those promises to Abraham, Jesus fulfills them. Those promises to David, Jesus fulfills them. He's come. He's here. That's what Peter's saying. The king is here. So look at Acts chapter 2, verse 29 and following. Imagine just being there and hearing Peter say this. Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David. He both died and was buried. His tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would one day set one of his descendants on his thrones, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, that would be like death, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses." Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he's poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Just like David said, one of David's forebears would rise from the dead, and Peter says, you all, you, you all know what happened. We saw it. Jesus rose. Jesus reigns. It happens. This is the story. And look at the verdict in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you, what? Crucified. How do you think that message went over? This, this is what we've been waiting for. This is the story. Jesus came, and what did, what did God's people do with the one God saved, sent to save them? They killed him. And really, here we, we're at the crisis of the story. We have all sinned against the God who created us, and we deserve his wrath. I 
I was at a, a party once a long time ago, and I happened to be talking with uh, a man and his ex-wife. And the subject of religion came up, and I knew a little bit of their backstory for various reasons. And the guy said, I don't need Jesus, I'm a good person. I said, really, you're a good person. Yeah, and so, well, how do you know you're good, right? You have to have a standard. Do you get to make up your own standard of goodness? You know what that's called? That's called making up your own story, right? I wanna make up my own story of the world. So I'll make up an easy standard that I can keep and where I can still be in charge. But the problem is it's not a real story. I remember the guy there saying, yeah, I'm a good person. I was like, really? And you know what was funny about that moment is that his ex-wife is standing next to him. <laughs> and so he's like, yeah, I, I'm a good person. I'm always kind to people. I tell the truth. And she's standing there next to him like, His, the balloon of his story was popped by the witness standing next to him. The crisis of this story is that God has made you for himself and you've sinned against him. You've rebelled against him. Now what? Now look at verse 37. I love what happens here. The story says, when they heard this, okay, this is the story Peter said. He sent his son, you crucified him. Verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said, oh, you're right. It's like, it's like a reality check. I have rebelled against God. I have made up my own story. What do I do? They were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And here's the response. Look at verse 38. And Peter said two things. What's number one? Repent. What's it mean to repent? Repent just needs a turn. You're walking this way in your own pretend story, and you're like this, and you realize this is junk. And then you turn to the person of Jesus. I'm turning to you. You're what the story's all about. Repent. And you can do this because of what Jesus has done for you. Remember, he came to save you. He, li he lived the life you couldn't live. He, he kept the commands. He was a good person. He'll give that standing, that goodness to you. He died on the cross for your sins all the ways you've rebelled, all the skeletons in your closet, every bad motive, every bad word, he paid for it. So if you trust in him, forgiven, made right with God. He rose from the dead and he shares that victory with you, new life. Repent. He said, repent, and then he said, be what? Be baptized. Repent and be baptized. What happens when you plug into the true story of the world? You get baptized. Can I show you what the true baptism is all about? Look at this passage from Romans chapter six. Now, if you've ever been baptized because you trusted in Christ, this is for you. Romans 6, three. Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ, were baptized into his what? His death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Trivia, when did Jesus die? Uh, a long time ago, right? Before you were born. And yet, and yet, somehow his death is your death? How does that work? This is what's amazing about baptism. The word means to dip. 
Like, uh, you like fondue, strawberry into fondue. You, you dip that strawberry into chocolate. You're baptizing a strawberry. When you trust Jesus, God the Father dips you into the person of Christ, unifies you to Christ, so that all the benefits of his death now belong to you. The, the, your life of sin and rebellion, it's dead, it's over now. And now all the benefits of Jesus' resurrection, those belong to you. You have new life now as a child of God in Christ. His death is yours, his resurrection is yours. You're connected to Christ. That's the real baptism. That's not anything I can do with water. It's something that happens um, to your soul, in your heart, as you trust in Christ. But think about it. Baptism is your personal connection to the hero of the story. The whole story is Jesus is coming to save. And baptism says, he saved me. I'm his now. I'm, I've left my false story of my own world, my own right and wrong, my own gods. And now I belong to Jesus. He's king. We sang it. He will reign forevermore. And he reigns right now in my heart. I'm his. He saved me. That's my story. That's our story. Peter says, as we repent and we're baptized, we receive forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit, the power to know God, to love him, to live out the story that he has for us. But I also love that Peter said this, this promise is for you and who else? You remember? Your children. This promise is for you and your children. Now, some might ask, now, wait a second, if you've got a trust in Jesus to be unified to him, and then you're baptized, why would you baptize children if they're not old enough yet to trust? Anybody ever asked that question before? I know I have. And here's how it works. You remember I told you the real quick story of scripture? Who was that first guy that God called, said, I'm gonna bless you, and in you I'm gonna bless everybody else? Abraham, right? And remember the sign that God gave Abraham was circumcision, but do you remember what it, what it meant? It was a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith, all right? Uh, you read in Genesis about the story of Abraham. When was, when was Abraham to give that sign to his children? Eight days. So, you know, it's curious. Wait, so Abraham had faith, and he was made righteous, and then the sign, he was given the sign, but he was, he was giving the sign of being righteous by faith to his children. Did you catch that? It's amazing, look at Galatians 3. God's covenant, God's promise to Abraham has never ended, and it never will. In Galatians 3, verse 6, Paul says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, verse 7, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons, and we could add the daughters of who? Abraham. We're not gonna sing it this morning, but Father Abraham... Okay, have many sons and daughters. It's saying God has made a people for himself by his grace, and we're part of it. This is my people, that's what we're saying. This is my family, God has saved us. God has saved us. And so just like Abraham's children, they started in the story. You know, Abraham never said to his kids, hey guys, believe whatever God you want. At 18, you'll just have to make your own decision. That's what you say when you don't actually believe in a God yourself. 
But when you know the God who saved you and loved you, what do you tell your kids? You see, by God's grace, this promise is for us and our children. Our kids start in the story. They begin in the story. Our children learn about Jesus like they learn English. From the very first days of being alive. Some of you have a testimony like that, right? Some of you would say, I'd say, when did you become a Christian? You'd be like, can't remember not being one. I've had bad moments, but I can't remember not being one. I've believed this since I could think. That's exactly right. You started in the story. Because see, baptism is the mark of initiation. It's, it's the mark that says belongs to God through Jesus Christ. And it has in it the history of God's people. God saving, promising to Abraham, promising to David, fulfilling it in Christ. The sign changes. It's no longer circumcision. Now it's baptism. When you believe you're baptized and this promise is for you and your children. This is our story. We raise them like they belong to Jesus because they do. Now, surely, can they grow up and say, I don't want this anymore, I'm leaving? Sadly, they can, right? The people of Israel, you could leave the covenant, you could deny it. But they start in the story, and they, look, they grow up knowing that Jesus is Savior and King. So what are we doing today, right? We're not being superstitious, no, we are trusting in the promises of God and the person of Jesus. We're not being cute. We're remembering that it's his, it's his blood that makes us right with God. And it's not just tradition. This is our story. God is saving the world through King Jesus and what he's done. And we're claiming today, as we as a congregation witness these baptisms, we're saying Jesus is king. And we're saying he's king over our hearts. He's king over our communities. We're saying he's king over our families. He's king over our children. And we're saying Jesus is king. That's the true story. And baptism is the culmination, the picture of that story in our community. So how should we respond this morning? Well, maybe you came to see a baptism, but you hear Peter's words that say, repent. Maybe some of us need repentance with a capital R. Maybe you might agree, you know, I'm living in my own story. I'm making up my own world about what life's all about, and it's not enough. It's not real. It's not true. I need Jesus. We'll repent. Trust him. Trust in him. I think we all need repentance a little bit, don't we? Repent, small r. No matter how long you've been a Christian, you ever done repenting? That's one reason we meet here every week is to remember the true story we go out into our daily lives and we hear all these fake stories about who we should be and who we should, who we should uh, follow and what we should look like and we have to come remember the true story of Jesus, who he is, what we're living for. Let's repent. Second thing, if you're a Christian and you haven't been baptized, let's talk. Get baptized. We wanna celebrate it with you. Last one, we're celebrating our story today. Let's celebrate. God has kept his promises. We're united to Jesus by grace through faith, we're forgiven, we have a spirit. And you know, we can say that when the God of the Bible is writing our story, everything does have a reason. 
In Jesus, he promises it's all for our good and for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your epic faithfulness throughout the generations and the salvation you've given us in Christ. And we thank you that we can celebrate this baptism, this picture of how you have united us to your son and we receive all his blessings, the blessings of his life, his death, his resurrection, his reign. We look forward to the day he'll return. Lord, for this morning as we, um, as we baptize these two boys, we do pray your blessing on their lives, on their families, that they would grow up with a deep trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord, their Savior, as their King. And we thank you that you include them. They're a part of this covenant community. Let us raise them to know the story. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.